Empire Building, the podcast where we talk about building big businesses and even bigger lives. I'm your co-host, Via Williams. I'm Seychelle Van Poole. I'm Sarah Reynolds. And I'm Wendy Papazan. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is talent. It's our first episode in our talent series. And who you are in business with really, really matters. Yes. In fact, mastering hiring and training might be the single most important thing you can do to be successful. And Wendy, it's also where we make the most mistakes always. So absolutely, true. absolutely, because often we hire out of pain. And yeah, you guys, you guys know Jim Rohn. He's a master motivational speaker. He famously told us that we are the sum, the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And if you think about it, aside from our partner, our husband or wife, probably spend the most time with the people on our teams. And so Absolutely. who you surround yourself is is the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, we tease on our team all the time, right? That they become like your work spouse, right? Yeah. Because you spend as much, if not more time with them. Oh, especially 100%. if you get to take out sleeping. If you take yeah. out sleeping time, you're, you're actually with your work family uh, more than you are your actual family. Yeah. Number of yeah. hours. So why wouldn't you pick the very best people to spend, you know, eight to 10 hours a day with? So today we're going to be talking about how to, first of all, evaluate yourself as a leader, because I believe that before you can evaluate who's on your team, you really need to understand and know yourself. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to give you guys a framework on how to evaluate yourself as a leader. And then we're going to give you another framework on how to evaluate who's on your team. It's a very easy um, simple thing to do just to look at your team and put people into categories. And then the third thing we're really going to focus on today is how to adopt the talent mindset. Um, and so I like to start with Via. You know, Via, you're probably one of the more introspective people I know, particularly in the last couple of years, because you've had a lot of, um, you know, stuff go down. It's been a fun journey, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah but you've, you've leaned in on that journey, right? I mean, that's the coolest part about watching you go through this is it's not it's not like um, it's happened to you. You've been very intentional about leaning in and really becoming the subject matter expert on this, which is awesome. Yeah, and I've really embraced that. frameworks too, you know, and I've really, I've, I've really made them a part of my life, how to take a framework and a model and apply that to my leadership. So Bia, do you want to walk us through that? I do. So, you know, what, what strikes me with this is the first thing I do naturally now is I evaluate myself. It always starts with self-leadership, right? Uh, uh, in my organization, we have a leadership pyramid and the very foundation of the pyramid is self-leadership. And our pyramid can only get as big as our foundation is, right? Love that. So the first thing we have to do when we're struggling with anyone on our team that, that's talent, you know, that, that we're concerned with their performance on, is to ask ourselves, are we doing what, what we in our organization call the three fiduciaries of a leader? And it's it's very simple, and it, it becomes uh, it becomes a habit, and you can train yourself to think this way. So, anytime I'm struggling with someone, I I go to those three fiduciaries. Number one is have I as a leader set the standard and the expectation to the person? Are they crystal clear on what I expect from them and what winning means? Are they crystal clear? Oftentimes, you guys, that is where we all fall down. You know, we have it in our head. We have stories in our head. And, and we're like, what do you mean? I mean, of course, this is the expectation. More often than not, when I, when I coach myself and when I coach other people, this is where we fall down, right? Well, you know, Via, and I, I love that because I think especially as leaders, 
uh, and those of us that are more strategic in our strength finders, it's really easy for us to connect the dots. And I know this is one of my superpowers is really being able to like connect all the dots. And for some of the people on our team, that's not always their strength. And so we have to help them connect the, the dots and over communicate what the dots are. I'll even go deeper with the, um, with that with you, Wendy. If I were, let's say I was working with you. Let's say, let's say you hired me and I was working with you because I, I'm, I consider myself a, a good leader. What I would do, Wendy, is I would see that those were your strengths and I would make sure, I, I would constantly define with you, Wendy, I need to understand what winning means. I would help you do your three fiduciaries. So if you're managing up, this can work as well because if you see that your leader is not necessarily setting expectations and standards, you can help them do that. You can say, hey, you know, Wendy, uh, I'm not sure I'm understanding what winning means here, right? So we always want to make sure we're clear, crystal clear, always starts with clarity on setting the standards and the expectation. Number two, Am I, as a leader, providing the tools, teaching, training, tech, coaching, culture? Am I providing the environment to their, for them to succeed in their top 20%? Meaning, am I providing the right environment for them to succeed in whatever my expectations are? I love that. Well, and, you know, you, that is, I think, where as an organization, it's on us to provide um, the environment for them to succeed. And I think that's where a lot of organizations fail is they identify talent, but then fail to give them the framework in which to work in. And I think that's something you've done really, really well in what you guys have been building. Well, typically, thank you. And typically this comes up in coaching. So typically, you know, if, if we're talking about a sales force, for instance, right now, and they're not succeeding, it's okay, this is the expectation. This is our contact expectation. This is our appointments held expectation, right? This is our appointments, uh, you know, ins or or real estate sales or, or whatever your your industry is. The coaching usually has to do with, do they have the right scripts? Do they have the right numbers to dial? Do they have the right software that they need? Do they have a CRM? They usually have the tech. That's usually not the issue. Usually the issue is coaching. They are insecure about what they're saying and, and how to say it well. Via, this is awesome. I have my, uh, my, I'm writing notes on my phone right now. This is great. One of the things I thought of through sort of my journey of empire building was uh, on my team, we have an inside sales department. And I failed at this miserably for the first probably three to four years. And it really came down to that second point that you just brought up, Via. And that was, we were not setting up an environment where an inside salesperson could really succeed. When I looked at it, we had them in a like small office with no window and I know that might not sound like a, like a big deal, but when you're on the phone constantly and your job is for eight hours to get rejected time and time again, think about that. Like being in a, a closed off space, no windows by yourself, right? And we've adapted our entire inside sales department around the environment that they're in. They're in the open. There's lots of natural light. They can't really hide in their in their environment. And um, and it really took us three to four years to learn that. Um, and I would I think, man, if I had uh, Via's framework, it would have been a lot shorter. <laughs> What's interesting is when you're building a smaller, it's easier to find someone who is a, an amazing fit for the role when your organization's bigger, right? So as your organization grows, people get a lot more specific in their roles. And True. when your organizations are small, right? When you're building your empire, 
it's a lot harder to find that person who's going to wear all those hats, right? If that yeah. person typically doesn't exist. And so what you're talking about with number two, which is like giving them the education and the tools they need to be successful, that's that's huge. That was just a huge aha for me. Yeah, really, really well said, Wendy, because, because you're right. You know, in our small businesses and small organizations, we can't afford to, to not hire multifaceted people. I mean, we, everybody needs to be a leader. Everybody needs to be emerging and have promise and, and, you know, have a lot of room to grow and develop. I agree with you. Can I ask a question too on framework number two? You know, I know a lot of people as they're building their empire may first have been working on their self-leadership, right? And, and the building blocks of number one, but then you get to number two and you're building your empire and you're not quite big enough yet to have the foresight to have all of the framework or all of the environment or all of the education available yet. Like if somebody doesn't have that already put together, where do they go or what do they do to help kind of start creating that process and that environment for their people? You know, uh, Seychelle, I can tell you what I did. You know, I took this role a couple of years ago and I'd never been, we call it our branch managers, a team leader. And I'd never been a team leader. And I took a role where all of a sudden overnight, I was leading six team leaders. So early on in my role, I I made a decision. And that decision was, you know, my job is to make sure they get the best training and the best coaching around. My job isn't necessarily to be that person. Mm, That's good. So uh, I've never taken that mantle on ever. Uh, It's one of my superpowers. I've always viewed myself, I'm responsible for X in my organization. I am not responsible for doing X. Right. And so, so allocating resources, collaborating, trading off, I am constantly calling on team leaders from all over the nation to come help me with my team. And then I have stuff to offer that I can now, you know, offer them. And we do, I do a ton of trades. Like I'll teach for your office. I'll, I'll coach someone in your office. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. And, and could you come on and coach my team leaders for a couple of weeks on, on this particular? You are, you are so right that I just had like a big, uh, eye-opening moment because I think a lot of myself included a lot of empire builders start off as doers because you have to do it all when you first start out and moving from that doing into the leveraging um, becomes a new skill set you have to put, you know you have to put in your arsenal and I do think that's something you've done really well and I think a lot of people as they move to right from entrepreneurial to purposeful right or e to p um, that we use a lot here with our frameworks, that that has to become a big part of that. So I love that view. I think that's super smart and that allows you to leverage and scale faster if you can get to that quickly. Okay, I need number three, Via. It's, number three is easy. <laughs> Inspect what you expect. Provide mm. accountability. So uh, I can tell you what this looks like in, in a real world example. And that is I, uh, I did have a team leader early on when I started the role a couple of years ago who wasn't hitting their numbers. And I was introduced to this framework and it really changed. It changed me because I have never stopped using it. So I, I went back and I said, no, I really haven't been setting any expectations. So I, I sat on a Word document and I just started typing out what I expected. It was super fancy, not. It, I just started typing it out. And then one day on our next Zoom, the, the team leaders all came onto the Zoom and there was a screen share. And it was just list of expectations for the role. That's it. Like it wasn't fancy. I just want, I go, hey, I want to go over these to make sure everyone's crystal clear. We do a 2, 10, 40. We do two appointments a day, 10 a week, 40 a week. Some of them are like, yeah, duh. Some of them are like, oh, wow, that's really helpful. 
And then, you know, I started coaching everybody. And then the third one, I realized this is kind of performance improvement plan time. So when we're doing number three, the accountability has to be very, very tight. And and it's been described to me like a kite string. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as the kite gets loose, right, you can't even see the kite. Mm-hmm. But when you're just starting that kite out, this kite string is super tight. So when you're kind of struggling with someone's performance, the accountability has to be daily, if not multiple times a day. Well, I want to dive into the inspect what you would, the inspect part, <laughs> uh, because I have grown a lot in this area as a leader, and I think that this is so crucial, especially in all of us run sales businesses. And the best salespeople I have found have high optimism. And so what can happen is that they count things before it actually happens, right? And in their head, for whatever reason, they think they've done more than they've even actually have. And so like, you know, all those listings that are coming in because they know that they're going to sign. uh, We had a big lesson because we were using all of our numbers and data off of what they were saying and not Mm. inspecting the expectation in terms of um, turning things in and tracking things. And it was a big lesson for me because every time we wouldn't hit the goal and we found out it was because we were using uh, numbers based on high optimism versus reality. So how did you, how did you counter that, Sarah? So we had to go straight to a system to where our administrative team is is logging everything. So it's not the salespeople. So everyone uses dialers. So we know how many dials they make. We know how many conversations they have. Um, We also don't count anything until they turn in the paperwork. Yes, that's Um, a huge one. That's been a a huge one Mm -hmm. for us. Um, But little things like that. I mean, when you dive into your system, you realize, okay, what what is supposed to happen and what actually is happening are two different things many times. And it's the inspecting part is crucial. My my director of ops, that's really her role, is she inspects constantly in in our system. It's been huge for us. Yeah, I I love that. Yeah, that's such a great nugget. And, you know, I would also say, you know, we had a lot of turnover uh, in our business last year. And even though we have a very good operations manual and we had a lot of training, I just, I, I realized that within, within that turnover, um, there are a lot of systems that were broken in little ways. And it, what's been interesting about, you know, this is being recorded um, in uh, April of 2020, which is we're all kind of sheltering in place during the pandemic. And it's really given me the opportunity to like poke my fingers and things and see what's like a little bit broken, not broken in a big way, but broken in little ways. And, um, and so just understanding that when you have a lot of turnover and, and some of you listening out there have had so much turnover, especially on your operation side, right? And that's part of the pain that you're probably always feeling is that nobody ever really gets trained the right way. And uh, so, you know, definitely having that operations manual is huge. You know, if you guys are just starting out in your business, the first thing you want your assistant to do is follow you around and basically document everything that you're doing. And then have your lead operations person continue to update that on a weekly, quarterly, yearly basis. I, I think, you know, with the framework that Via was talking about in terms of being introspective of our leadership, 
I think there's actually a fourth, I'm going to add a fourth number to this, uh, because after you inspect what you expect, you should also be going back and coaching on what you found when you inspected what you expect, giving the opportunity to to help them. So I just went through 238 listing appointments that we did not get. And I, I wanted to see where we were, um, where we, the struggle was. And now our entire training system for the next two weeks is on what I found when I was inspecting. And, and so I think making sure that we give the opportunity to our people to then train them on what we're finding when we're looking at things is, is crucial. That is the perfect example. That, that right there exemplifies, I think, everything we're talking about. You going through a lost sales report, essentially, you know, 238 lost sales. And I also want to remind you, we're talking right now about troubleshooting, right? This whole thing was kind of led by, what do you do when, when, when someone's struggling? on your team. And, and my, my answer was, well, you look at yourself first, right? And so, and so, you know, this is a daily thing by now. I mean, this is essentially the definition of a performance improvement plan. And we also need to kind of look at it as a cyclical thing because you guys, we have all four of us, I know you well, we have all four of us fallen down with not inspecting what we expect. And yeah. so if you yeah. can try to yeah. like limit the time when you're like, oh, I caught myself, I've got to do it. Sarah, you, you've got a ton of stories about it. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's natural. It's part of business. It's, it's part of all of our business biographies. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, I love that, Via. And uh, I think it's especially true if you're not by nature a micromanager, right? So some people who run businesses, they have the problem what they want, they want too much control. And I have the opposite problem. I just, I'm ready to give up control all the time and let the confident person take over the role. And yet my big aha, really, honestly, this last month has been like, I, I have a lot of new people on my team and they've really needed more of my time. And they have needed me to help them connect the dots. And um, and so it's that's just been a really powerful realization for me. And then I would just also add that you should also know yourself as a person, right? So I love this kind of like taking ownership over people's performance. But then you should also understand your natural behavior. And we're not going to do a deep dive into this, but taking strength finders or even something as, as common as the disc and really understanding your basic behavioral profile and then understanding everybody on your team and the way they operate in the world because we all have a different way of thinking, doing, and being. Um, so strength finders is awesome. And um, and then I don't know if you guys have ever taken strength finders. They have a strength finders for entrepreneurs, which is also mm. um, which is really interesting because cool. they they, really they break neat. different kinds of entrepreneurs down. So yeah, yeah, I love yeah, that. So, so you know, we good. get. We get through this step one through three and now four, which I love that Sarah added, right? And and now you're into a position in your organization where you have people in your organization working with you. And now you need to start evaluating, right? Who is in my organization? How do I evaluate how they're doing and not? Because I think the most important thing that all of us have discovered here is your A players right? Are awesome and they're rocking and rolling into Via's analogy, right? You can let the kite go roll loose on them and an A player is going to attract an A player or an A, B player, right? But your B player is only going to attract a C player. They're not going to go retroactively go up the chain to attract a B, you know, an A player. So if all of a sudden you're looking around your organization and realizing you're having a bunch of B or C players, your odds of actually attracting high caliber talent for an A is 
very slim. Yeah. And so, you know, I, well, I look at this. And as, let me let me just jump yeah. in on that for our listeners and help them explain to help explain it a little bit. Is that if if you're a super talented person, you don't want to go to work with a bunch of losers. Yes. So yeah. true. It's just a yes. really simple way of saying it. If yeah. you are an exceptional person and you have a lot of talent, you want to be paid for your talents. And you want to surround yourself with people who are going to motivate you, who are going to, you know, pull you up the, you know, you're you're all going to be running up the mountain together. So you're, yeah, yeah, on the football team, you're starters, right? Like your starting lineup doesn't want to go hang out and practice all the time with the bottom of the B string. Yeah, and I mean... Yeah. I mean, t- talent understands how we started this conversation off, right? We're we're the sum of the five people closest to us. And yes. so talent wants to be around the best because they realize that's going to impact them. And so it's crucial. I heard, I heard a quote and it was Andy Stanley said it. And he said, it's always the talented good people that leave dysfunctional organizations first. Mm. The most talented, <laughs> best people leave first. When the when the organization's dysfunctional, yeah, that's you know what's really well, funny. Okay, I you guys don't know. I think you guys know this, but you know I've been watching The Office, oh, uh, love pretty it. much obsessively since this pandemic started, um, and it's been a gift because I've never seen it. But like The Office is the perfect metaphor for that. Yes. Because remember when the two branches merge? And yes. all the really good people are like out of there on the first day and only the weirdos stay. So there you go. <laughs> I love that this is a new discovery during the pandemic for you know, because it's, it's just best. nothing but gold that's getting delivered to you on a daily basis. I'm yeah. jealous that Wendy gets to discover the office. I know. COVID-19 in the office will be forever linked in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that's actually awesome. perfect. So, you know, let's talk about a framework then for evaluating who you have on your bus or who's in your organization because a bunch of A players don't want to play with B and C players. So how do you then define that out? And so the framework we use is kind of a scale of one to 10. And what we do is on, we take a sheet of paper and a very simple rubric, right? And on the left side of your paper, you write down everybody in your organization. And then on the right side, you're going to write down um, essentially a score of where they are currently today in your organization. And the the score you're going to give them is a 1 through 10. And you're going to break it out into three different categories. So your first option of your rating is a a score of 1 through 4. And a 1 through 4 rating that you give them, if you were to look at like red, yellow, green light, is your red. This person is not performing. They don't have the attitude to perform. They may not have the capability to perform. But most importantly, they don't have the desire to perform. So they're going to get a red. The, you know what? Or we could like this morning when we were talking about this, you yes. texted me that poop emoji. And yes. Like brown. <laughs> or they could be brown because you have to brush them down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that doesn't mean, it, you know, what's funny is like, it, when we talk about this, like when each of us is teaching or coaching, right? People immediately think, oh, well, that person's a terrible person. They're not. That just might mean that they're a poor fit for your organization or culturally, they're not aligned with where you are. And so they're not bought in. And so they're creating disruption in your organization or they're mentally checked out or not in culture. And that's going to create a drain on the rest of your talent. Or you did a terrible job of hiring and you Absolutely. hired the wrong person for the job. Yeah. And that's on you as a leader. And we're going to talk about that in this series. Yes. So if you want to know the process to follow, yes. and back in. 
I want to remind us all, the number one job of a leader is to hire a good team. Yeah, that's we, right. We have right. to remember that constantly. Right. It's the theme so of somebody, the Right. If somebody's a one through four, it's kind of our fault. Because we, we have put to them in that them. That's why I right. sent you the poop right. emoji. That's yeah. right. So, so they may be brown and you may have to flush them down. But really what you're doing is you're freeing, you're freeing them up to... So basically what you're going to say next is if they're yellow, we let it mellow. Right. That, that is that is what we're doing. Man, this to- the total toilet paper shortage is really coming in handy right now. So, so the next, right? If, if they are one through four, you need to realize though that keeping them in your organization harms you, but it also harms them because it's keeping them from moving forward to an opportunity that is going to better fit their needs, better serve them, and and allow them to be who they naturally are best suited for. So really, you're holding them back if you're not allowing them to explore or pursue other opportunities. Your next one is your yellow, let it mellow group, as Wendy beautifully put it, which is a five through seven. And a five through seven might have the attitude and the willingness to succeed, but maybe they're lacking skill set. Maybe they're lacking, as Via said, right, clarity in their role and definition. And they have the potential though. So you might put them on a performance improvement plan to see if they can move from a five to seven up to a higher rating in your organization to become a top performer. So you need to look at them at a real tight kite analogy, right? They're reigning in real tight. You have real tight accountability with them. And they need to understand that their performance is at a five to seven. Um, they can't just blissfully get, you know, be unaware and then get put on a performance improvement plan or they're going to really react negatively to that. So there's, we'll talk through, but there's some coaching and conversations and weekly accountability that can help get you to that. And then the last part is your green, which is your 8 to 10. And those guys are rocking and rolling. You're going to keep them and you need to reward them, let them know they're doing well and figure out how to double down on their efforts to help them move forward and attract more talent into the organization because they can become your magnets. And I think whereas leaders, I know I have failed the most is with those guys, I need to make sure that I'm screaming their success story off the rooftops and make sure that we're telling their story to use that as an attractor to our organization because they're having a lot of success. And so that's where you can really lean in and double down on that. Okay, so first you uh, look at yourself, right? By following uh, Via's framework. Second, you look at your team members. And so you do that by ranking them, giving them a number. So putting their name on the side, giving the number on, on the right. Um, and then going through each of these steps that uh, Seychelles went into so beautifully. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. And then really the next part is really, to me, it's developing that talent mindset, right? Which is part of the reason we want to build an empire. So a lot of you out there listening have smaller organizations. Maybe you've got two or three people on your team, or maybe you've got five to seven people on your team. The beauty of building a larger organization, which is why we should all aspire to this, is that we can we can do what, what's called building a bench of talent. And what's great about building a bench of talent is, is that if any one person leaves, you are upset that they're leaving if they were a great person, which hopefully they are. Uh, but you're never really that upset because you've already got, you've always got somebody behind them ready to slot them in their place. And when you only have three people in your organization, it's devastating when one person leaves, right? So Sarah, you know, you have the biggest, well, Bia really, but you, your, your organization has grown so that you've got a talented person and a talented person behind them and a talented person behind them. And, you know, you're never going to get that job back 
Whereas if you have a tiny organization, the likelihood of you getting some of those jobs back is huge. Yeah, and now it's man- it's mandatory. So we don't ever hire one of anything anymore. So mm, I, I learned that's good. Hard, I, I learned the hard way that anytime I hire one of something, um, the job typically always comes back to my table. And I have had to learn that I don't want most of the jobs back. (laughs) And so to do that, we hire in groups. So what my rule is, is is it if we are not too deep on a role, then I have probably have a job. One deep is not enough. If we are not too deep, which means I'm constantly trying to fill that funnel. So so if I have someone currently in place and then they've got a bench, right? Then, then I have to constantly make sure that bench is being filled because you know you the time to 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 start hiring isn't when you lose that person. I mean, you you have to sit, you know, put someone right in there. Yeah, it's so true. Well, I think about like college football player or college fo- football coaches or mm-hmm. college basketball coaches. Like to me, though, the the people who do that at a very high level are phenomenal because think about mm-hmm. it. They they essentially have to rebuild their team every single year. That's right. Knowing for sure that every single person's going to be gone within four or five years. They start watching people in middle school, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that, that should be all of our mindset. Yes. And right now, again, this is in uh, April of 2020, and we're in the middle of sheltering in place during the, the pandemic. And I know what's on all of our minds is... Wow, 26 million people out there unemployed. And yeah, and, and of course it's devastating. And yet for those of us who are building empires, it's in a very unique opportunity to get into business with some of the most talented people who three months ago would have paid you no mind at all because they had a perfectly good job. And you know what no one talks about, ladies? No one talks about how awkward it is to advertise and put the word out that you're hiring for for a potential job when you have someone currently in place. Mm. How do you guys do that when when you have someone in a role but you want to advertise for the role and get the word out? How do you guys handle that in your organizations? We, We, first of all, talk to our team members and let them know that we're we're growing and that we're going to be doing some ads that look very similar to their job. And that's because we want to constantly be looking in, in your role as a talented individual in the Reynolds team empire is to be constantly also looking for your replacement. Uh, mm-hmm. Because as we grow, you want to be promoted within. Yes. Um, and the way to do that is be that's constantly right. looking for talent yourself. So. I love that, Sarah, because what you're what you're saying to your people is, is is not only do you have to have the talent mindset, but everybody on your team has to have the talent That's mindset. Right. And you should be rewarding and acknowledging people who are bringing talented people to you on a daily basis. And if you're not in a position to do tons of interviewing, right? Maybe you're in a smaller organization. Maybe it doesn't make sense to run those ads. At the very least, you're looking around in your world on a daily basis and saying like, oh, that's a great person. That's a great person. Maybe it's a client, right? Maybe it's a client who who you had a great experience with. Maybe it's a friend of a friend. Maybe it's somebody in your world. But you, you always have that mind uh, set of, hey, is this would this person be a good fit for our organization? Because the reality is most people aren't, aren't wandering around thinking about that. So if you guys don't get anything out of today... Um, just putting your mindset, you know, your talent hat on every day is is really powerful for your organization. And then I would also encourage everyone out there to put um, talent appointments on their on their goals, right? Love so that. 
for me, my goal is to meet with two talented, at least two talented people once every week, right? So I look up and at the end of the year, I've met with a hundred talented people. What does that do to your world? I, I don't that. I don't I don't know what that would do for all of your worlds, but it's been huge for me personally. So I highly recommend that. And uh, ladies, today's been an amazing episode. Uh, I love talking about talent. You guys are, first of all, all talent yourselves and uh, are so good at attracting talented people into your world. And I personally have learned a lot. Uh, I learned about self-leadership, right? Via gave us that great framework for the three fiduciaries of the leader. And, and then like Sarah, of course, plussed it and added a fourth, <laughs> which was to um, have you set the standards. What are your expectations? What does winning mean? Have you explained that to everybody in your world? Number two, are you providing the environment for them to succeed as well as the tools and education they need? And, and then having this understanding that you as the leader, you're responsible for X, but it doesn't mean you have to do X, right? And then the third one on that is really inspect what you'd expect, right? Go in, poke holes and everything. And then as Sarah said, you want to go back in and coach around what you found. So it's not good enough just to poke holes in it, right? You got to, you have Mm -hmm. to coach them, right? Or like Dia said, provide the education and tools and training. Maybe you're not that person. Maybe you can't coach around it, right? And then you want to look, you want to evaluate who's in your organization, right? Either they're, they're poo, flush them down, or they're yellow, let it mellow, or they're green or whatever the other metaphor is there. <laughs> you can tell we're all moms. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then the last thing we talked about today was really developing that, ta- that talent mindset uh, so that you can just for sure attract the most and best people into your world because it is ultimately, as a, as a business owner, it's the most important thing. So I hope you guys tune in next time because we've got another amazing talent episode coming up. Thank you for joining us on Empire Building. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening to Empire Building. If you like what you heard, join our tribe by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and help us spread the word by leaving a five-star rating and review. Until next time, wishing you a life worth living. And remember, you are an empire builder.